0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Black on the Air. This is Larry Wilmore, uh, Black with You, <laughs> for the second installment of my little podcast here. I want to thank everybody for listening in. Really having a lot of fun here as I'm figuring out how to do this podcast thing. Uh, it's really a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. I think we're going to have uh, some good times here. We got Bernie Sanders coming up today. I actually talked to him a couple of weeks ago. We had a great conversation in D.C., traveled down there to speak to the man. It was actually on the day they were doing the vote on health care. So we didn't get a chance to talk about that. But we had a real good discussion about the, the current state of the Democratic Party. So I think you'll enjoy listening to that. I'm actually in a real good mood today. This is... Uh, this is the day. I don't know when you're listening to this, but um, they had the draft lottery last night, and you guys know that I'm a Laker fan. If you don't know, then you know now. I'm a huge Laker fan, and the Lakers got the second pick, yo. all Woohoo! And by the way, we got Roy Hibbert here in the house, sitting here with his Dodger hat on. Very good, Roy. He's an L.A. boy as well. Roy, we got to see you out there on the court, man. Got to see you playing. Somebody this year bringing the big man. Roy's got to bring the big man back. That's what I'm hoping Roy does. Is bring old. I'm real old school, you guys. I, I love a good big man in the middle. Got to have that. But I'm really happy about what's happening with the Lakers. And I just got to thank Bill Simmons, uh, <laughs> head of the ringer, for throwing shade on my Lakers so much. I mean, he was actually rooting against the Lakers. So, yeah, Bill, you still got the first pick, the Celtics, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the Lakers got the second. So we're we're on our way. Very happy about that. So I want to encourage you guys also to send in your questions, anything you want me to cover or talk about. Want me to comment on, you can send it to at Larry Wilmore on Twitter. You can also find me on Facebook if you want to send it there. And I'm happy to try to cover as much as possible. We're, we're talking about a lot of things here. but there. So we're going to talk to Bernie later. And I actually have an update on Trump on my casual lying statement. I was talking about Trump's casual lying last week. I have an update on that. But before that, guys, <sighs> somebody uh, popped back up in the news recently, and I think, I think we need to address it. It's the voice of Bill Cosby, recorded in conversation with his daughter, Erin, and joining me now to explain why is Bill Cosby himself. That's right, motherfucker. I have not forgotten about you. Bill Cosby, you guys. What is he doing? He's back. We go away. We we are done. We don't want to hear about this. So, you know, the trial's coming up now, and uh, I, I don't know how he got this interview with Michael Smirkanish. They did it on serious. It was the most bizarre interview ever. I mean... It, I like Michael Smirkanish, but I don't, I mean, he's asking him questions about Mother's Day, and all kinds of bizarre stuff. But there are a couple of interesting excerpts that I just want to touch on real quick. And um, he asked him whether or not um, he's going to testify. And, and, And let's just hear what he said there. Don't you want to testify and tell your story? No. Why not? Once again, I go back to lawyers.
1: When you, when you have to deal with examination, cross-examination, et cetera, et cetera, more than uh, two sides to every story.
0: Some, sometimes it's uh, four or five. Wait, wait, stop. Stop right there. Four or five? How about 60 sides to a story? What do you mean sometimes there's more than two sides? Like, that's, that's the thing that gets me about this case. I mean, yes, when things are he said, she said, I get it. There's so many possibilities, but as I've said before about this, this is not he said she said. This is he said she 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 said I think that's 60 it may just be 50 but I'm not sure that's a lot of she saids Cosby that is a lot okay yes there's a lot that you have to get straight in your mind before you figure out what to say and and on that point can you keep playing that clip you guys you have to hear the end of this
1: I just don't want to sit there and have to figure out uh, what I believe is a truthful answer as to whether or not I'm opening a can of something that I, my lawyers are scrambling.
0: Okay, stop it. Please stop it. Figure out, listen to what he said, I don't want to sit there, I don't want to sit there and have to figure out what I believe is a truthful answer. Well, you don't have to do that. You can just tell the truth. This is unbelievable to me. The phrase "figure out what I believe is a truthful answer" is the actual definition of lying. <laughs> when you spend time to figure out what you say in order for it to sound like the truth, that's what lying is, Cosby. Oh, this I just I can't even believe that he would make such a statement and and think that we don't know what that's what lying is. Okay, but he wasn't finished then. Then they actually brought up uh, racism, which is unbelievable to me. Let's just play that.
1: I strongly believe my father is innocent of the crimes alleged against him. And I believe that racism has played a big role in all aspects of this scandal. Do you agree with that?
0: Could be. Could be. Um... No, 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 stop, stop, stop. Not could be, Cosby. Not could could be. Racism has nothing to do with it. You guys know if something is racist, I will call it out. But you cannot use the race card in this instance. Your race card will be revoked. Uh sir, uh can I see your race card please? <laughs> I'm gonna have to see some ID. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> this card, <laughs> this card is over the limit. You cannot use the race card in this case. In fact, it was even a black man that started all this. It was Hannibal Burrs as you recall that uh talked about this in his stand-up and started uh, the talk about this, which opens up a whole different can of worms. If anything, this more has to do with sexism than it has to do with racism. This whole Cosby thing, including the Ailes thing and the Bill O'Reilly thing with Fox News, this is more common in how our society has colluded with powerful men to keep victimized women silent, is what this whole issue is about to me. Um, Sexism completely trumps racism in this case. Sexism, in fact, sexism, let's be honest, guys, goes back further than racism. Cavemen were dragging women <laughs> by the hair long before there was a black caveman who said, how come I can't live in the white caves? This is racist. <laughs> you know? So let's just be honest about where we stand about this. That's so why I'm very, I'm very passionate about this issue. You know, I, I, think it's, I think it's something we got to do better about. All right. From a man abusing, allegedly abusing or whatever, over 60 women to a man definitely abusing 50 states. Let's get back to Donald Trump here real quick. So last week I talked about his casual lying and just how easy it comes out of his mouth. But, you know, I have to update this because with this whole Comey thing and everything that's going on, I believe that Trump is taking lying to a whole new level, you guys. I He has, like, I, I figured it out. There's like three degrees of lying that Trump has. It's kind of like the way Mormons have their heaven Mormons kind of have like three heavens. They call it like three degrees of glory. Why, Larry, why do you know so much about Mormonism? Because I spent some time in Utah doing a special, and I learned everything you want to know about Mormonism. Some of it you do not want to know right now that I may share with you later. <laughs> some of it is pretty amazing. They have three heavens. So Trump has what I call three degrees of lying. Okay, here's the first one. It's the conscious lying where he knows he's lying, right? This is that bullshit salesman type lying, you know, that— um, you know when Trump is trying to sell you the the swampland, all the bullshit he talked about in the election, or even uh, you know when he just uh, comes out and says uh, he didn't say something. When when Comey, I think recently he said that a Trump, oh he asked to let Flynn go. He said just 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 let him go, and Trump insists that he didn't say that. Right, that is an out and out lie. Trump knows he's lying. That is a conscious lie. That's the kind of lie that's easy to detect. It's easy to combat, right? Because you can find a way to prove that he didn't. That's the first degree of lying. Okay, then you have Trump's unconscious lying. This is that casual lying I was talking about last week. And this is where, and by the way, guys, this goes beyond like somebody lying so much that they don't even know that they're lying. With Trump, it's even beyond that. Trump lies so much, it's part of his ecosystem. It's actually, he has to lie to survive. (laughs) In fact, like he... His, the lying is so ingrained in, in him. Lies have to come into his cells like the way oxygen has to come in and has to be processed in order for Trump to keep going. That's how deeply embedded lying is to him. Uh, that's like when he lies about the crowd size, you know, and, and that type of stuff. And his all that casual lying falls, falls into that category. OK, Okay. so the last type of lying that Trump does is this new type of lying Or I wouldn't even call it new, but it's the most fascinating type of lying. And it's like revelatory lying. And this is when Trump lies, but he's really telling us the truth. So like when they asked him about, if he asked uh, Comey about being loyal to him, and Trump says no, right? But then he says... But even if I did, I mean, that wouldn't be the wrong thing to do. I mean, you should be loyal, right? He's actually telling us the truth through his lies. It's like when O.J. wrote that book. Well, if I did it, no, motherfucker, you did it. You did do it. You're telling us the truth right now. So this is what's amazing to me is it's almost like there's a small Jiminy Cricket in Trump that's screaming at us so we can hear some of of the truth. So I believe when we look at Trump now, you can't just— Look at him as someone who lies. You really have to break down what type of lying is going on, whether it's this salesman bullshit, conscious lying, whether it's the unconscious lying, you know, because he's just doing that so his cells can get some oxygen. You know, you kind of have to you kind of have to forgive him for that kind of lying. because who gives a shit about the size of the crowd, right? Like people have to calm down about his his unconscious lying. But the truthful lying, this revelatory lying is the most fascinating thing. That's the type of lying that maybe at the end of the day, who knows? could bring down a presidency. So let's watch out for that. Watch out for those three types of lying. And I would love for you to tweet me and uh, send me any of your observations uh, if you recognize those three types. That would be awesome. Um, Okay, guys, well, we got uh, Mr. Bernie Sanders coming up. Uh, I had a lot of fun uh, talking to Bernie. You know I had him on my show I think four times on the nightly show, something like that. We did a soul food sit down. It was so much fun. But I talked to him a couple of weeks. Uh, I just wanted to get his thoughts on the state of the Democratic Party these days. So, um, so that's coming up right after this. All right, and now here is my interview with Bernie Sanders. Uh, so I have a really, really big treat. He's the Honorable Senator from Vermont. Uh, you know him as the bird catcher himself. <laughs> the man so many people were rooting for, for president, and he's here in person, Mr. Bernie Sanders. Hello, Bernie. Larry, great to be with you. It's so nice to be with you, Bernie. Bernie, you were so kind appearing on my show several times. We had so much fun. It felt it felt like such a special time back then, uh, too, and what was going on. It was. I think it was two years ago when you actually announced you were going to run. Two years has passed since yep. then. Um I wanna go back to that feeling just a bit. When you first decided to run, in that moment, what, what 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 were you really trying to do? were you trying to get a message out? Did did you think you had a realistic chance of winning at that time when you ran? Like what was in your mind at that point?
1: What was in my mind at that particular moment and that was running for the Democratic nomination? Right. Was that I thought it was absolutely imperative that a progressive voice be heard. Mm-hmm. I believe then and I believe now there was an enormous amount of pain in this country and that if a progressive a strong progressive was not in the race many many very important issues would not see the light of day mm-hmm. uh that's why i initially got in
0: do you, uh Did you have a feeling that the Obama administration was a progressive administration or a liberal administration? What was your take on that?
1: It's hard to put a word on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Barack Obama is a personal friend of mine, is somebody I have an enormous amount of respect for. Given the kinds of obstructionism, unprecedented obstructionism Mm -hmm. that Republicans threw at him, he accomplished a hell of a lot. And he also conducted his presidency with his entire family, with Michelle and their kids, with incredible dignity and grace. And that is something, especially given today, uh, that we appreciate. Is Obama's politics my politics? Uh No. Did we disagree on a number of issues? We sure did. Uh, I think at the end of the day, what happened and one of the reasons that Trump ended up winning is no debate that we made real economic progress under Obama. No question about it. Unemployment went down. Uh Uh, The deficit went down. Uh, You know, we overcame the great financial crisis that he inherited. But what was not
0: the macro, the macroeconomic recovery was not a debate. Right. Right. Among anybody
1: who's not, you know, right. (laughs) Anyone who's not crazy. Right. 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 But in the midst of that, Larry, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of terrible things that were going on in the economy mm-hmm. that Obama was not talking about, Congress was not talking about. Why the do, you, me- why do you think that, was, that not...
0: was? Why do you think that Wow, I...
1: that is that is a very profound question. Mm-hmm. Who gives a damn that kids in inner cities today uh, have unemployment rates of mm-hmm. 20 30%? Right. Who cares that in rural areas in West Virginia, people are now dying at a younger age than their parents? Who gives a damn that moms in L.A. or New York City or Vermont can't afford to send their kids to college. Who cares a damn about that? They don't contribute right. large amounts of money into political campaigns. Just ordinary people trying to survive. Who cares about them? And Obama did not talk enough about those issues. Yeah. Okay, And Trump picked up, and he said, mm. you know what? I feel your pain. The establishment is ignoring you. I, Donald Trump, I, of all people, am going to take on the establishment. Well, he lied, of course,
0: Yeah, but that was his message. I, it, I think it was part of his message. I think it was more your message, if if I may. I think a lot of Trump's message was protectionism, and and um, I mean his for, he came out of the box talking about building a wall. That was the thing that got the fervor around uh, Trump in the beginning. He did talk about trade, I think later on, but his his message was more about um, a globalism economy. But he just connected to a lot of those people. Um, well, I think you're converging. There are two issues
1: here. Yeah. One of them is the xenophobia right. and the racism, right. which clearly was an important part.
0: Yes, uh, he came out of the box with that. Absolutely. That well, was before he came out of the yes, box. Exactly. Remember,
1: this was a guy who years ago Believe me, I led remember. the so-called Bertha movement, yes. which was not 99% racist, but 100% racist against the first African-American president we had. Yes,
0: in. the delegitimization of it, I call exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not that Obama is a bad president. He's right. an illegal president a disgusting thing to say correct all right and that's what that's that's was even before he announced and then yes uh, Latinos are all uh, rapists and criminals we know that and Muslims are all terrorists and this is old fashioned racism xenophobia it's a t- tried and true method of demagogues yeah. trying to divide people up
0: well it goes it <sighs> The Trump thing actually to me is a couple of layers deeper than that because it's not really, the way that I heard it, it wasn't so much saying it about Mexicans and Muslims, it was putting it on immigrants. It was saying, we can't trust people coming into our country. It was making a them versus us. And it was it was dividing classes of immigrants, too. Like, I've heard Ann Coulter talk about this. I think Trump jumped on Ann Coulter's bandwagon, uh, where they talk about a cert- only a certain class of immigrants should be allowed into this country. And I think uh, a lot of Trump's message was exactly that. And, and part of that class they don't want in are some of these brown people that are doing the raping and, the, and all that stuff, you know. But... Um, but I want to know, okay, when I was growing up, Bernie, I, I always felt the Democratic Party was the party of the people. Where
1: did you grow up, Larry? Like?
0: I grew up in California. Yeah. My parents are from Chicago, very political town, um, and a very racially divisive city to grow up I went to school to. at the
1: University of, yeah.
0: So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do, you know, I, very much so. I think even King mentioned it was one of the most racially charged places he had ever been in, including Alabama. But um, I grew up very politically aware from my parents. They weren't really activists or that type of thing, but it was, it was in the air, right? But the Democratic Party, to me, seemed to represent the party of the people during that time. Why did that leave them?
1: Democratic Party like you know it has a crazy history like like the republicans do uh... let's not forget uh... that under fdr and truman the democratic party was successfully nationally while within its folds was the incredible racism Absolutely. of the south All right, the Correct. dixie cracks ok so that's that's not. Exactly so you right. had some of the most progressive people in the country and some of the most reactionary people
0: in the country. yes and let's not forget that Republicans, There was the progressive movement uh, was in the Republican Party as well. Yeah, absolutely. Carter Roosevelt was a progressive. That's right. A lot of those policies were adopted by FDR and the New Deal. And, uh, right. I, yeah. So. so, you know, there's
1: been a lot of transformation right. of, of politics to where we are today. What happened, I, I think, uh, Larry, is that over the years, you're quite right, though. I think if you... In 1938, 1940, stopped somebody on the street and said, tell mm-hmm. me, which political party is the party of the working class of this country? Which party is the party of big big money? <laughs> right. It would have been pretty clear. <laughs>
0: easy answer, right? Very easy answer. Yes.
1: Today, that's not the answer. You yeah. stop those people. No one's quite sure. They think both parties are on the take. Both parties are dominated by big money. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened to the Democrats, I don't know exactly when, late 60s, 70s, maybe. Maybe I'm off by some years. Yeah. They began to understand that the easy way to raise money was to go to corporate America. Yes. Okay. And once you go to Wall Street and you go to corporate America and you take their money, eventually their ideology, that ideology, begins to seep into your politics. Mm -hmm. And I think you saw that certainly in in, in the Clinton administration, Bill Clinton's administration. And
0: And when you say their ideology, what specifically are you talking about?
1: um... more centrist uh, political approach less emphasis on the needs of working people Mm -hmm. trying to balance for example the needs of wall street you'll remember During the Clinton administration, they deregulated Wall Street. Yes. It wasn't some, you know, George Bush who did it. It was Bill Clinton who did it. It was uh, Robert Rubin, who was his Secretary of Treasury. Mm -hmm. This was Wall Street. This was Wall Street's message.
0: Right. And we had just had a crash in 1987. That's right. That's right. I remember the whole savings and loan debacle that people had had forgotten about so quickly. Which now
1: seems (laughs) nickel and dime, right?
0: It was compared to the credit default swaps of the. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So you had that. You had a trade policy. Corporate America said, hey, why? I don't want to pay workers in America a good wage. Mm-hmm. I can move to Mexico, then to China. Right. Let's let's do that. So you had, um, you know, uh, policies that reflected uh, what Wall Street and the big money interest wanted. And I think mm-hmm. in that process, the soul of the Democratic Party was lost. Larry, my philosophy is, and I know not everybody agrees with me, but... Mm-hmm. Do you remember that old Woody Guthrie song of which side are you on? Sure, Do you remember that? yes. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's what, in politics, you've got to make a decision.
0: Yes. Where are, are you going to stand? Yeah. Where are you going to stand? Are you mm-hmm. going to stand
1: with working people who are struggling? Are you going to stand mm-hmm. with the big money interests? You can't be in both camps.
0: Now, it seems that the Democrats feel that they can, because there certainly has been both a, a corporatist type of agenda along with, and a lot of people have criticized the Democrats for this, along with what people call identity politics. And it feels like identity politics has taken over from working class politics. Is that fair? I think it is. I think it yeah. is. As a
1: generalization. I think it is. Yeah. So instead of saying, "Okay, are we going to?" It, it should go without saying, not yeah. a debate. Are we going to fight racism on all fronts? Of course. Of course. Sexism, homophobia—that's a given. Yes. You know? Let's right, hope so. that. All right. Now yeah. let's get to the real issue. All right. right and not let's let's get to. The heart and soul of this thing is that are we a party which protects black workers Mm -hmm. and Latino workers and white workers and Asian American workers and Native American workers or are we a party which is very sympathetic to the needs of the 1% uh, and the billionaire class and corporate America? That is the issue, okay? Mm -hmm. And I think the Democratic Party has got to make it clear that at a time when the middle class has been shrinking for 40 years, mm-hmm. there has been a massive transfer of wealth from working families to the top one-tenth of 1%. I think the Democratic Party says we are on the side of working families. We're going to take on Wall Street, take on big money. Yeah, And that's what we're going to
0: do. It almost seems like there's been almost a fetishing of uh, of the Dow Jones over the last 30 years. You know, Like we're so concerned with that number as if it means anything where it really only represents... You know, profits, corporate profits, trade, and that sort of thing, but it doesn't represent what workers are actually making, how people's lives are actually being affected. Do you know, uh,
1: Jim Hightower, by any chance? No, I don't know Jim. Jim is an old friend of mine from uh-huh. Texas, uh, populist, uh, and he—he's a—he writes books. He's a comedian. Jim says, "I'm not worried about the Dow Jones. I'm worried about the Doug Jones." Yes. What's happening to Doug? Exactly. He's working at some factory. What's happening but to I, him? I think we forgot about that.
0: I mean, it—it—it it, it seems like. Uh, I actually talked to President Clinton about this uh, a couple of years ago. I was doing something for the Global Clinton Initiative, interviewing him. And uh, he felt that a lot of corporations were um, rewarding shareholders more than their workers now. Like that was the biggest change, you know, which is it's more about uh, making them happy than making your workers happy and growing your businesses that way, you know. Um, so is the Democratic Party now? Do you think it's it's a uh, Do you think it is a progressive party right now or? Uh... The answer is: Let me give you an unequivocal yes
1: and no. Okay, you got it. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, mm-hmm. I helped write, along with Secretary Clinton, uh, what was what is the most progressive party platform in the history of American
0: politics for this past election. Yes,
1: right. And that is officially not where the Democratic Party stands. It stands for a $15 an hour minimum wage. Uh-huh. It stands for moving to universal health care, guaranteeing health care to all people. It stands for breaking up the largest Wall Street banks. Uh, it stands for pay equity for women, very pro-choice uh, platform. Stands for creating millions of jobs, rebuilding our infrastructure. Uh-huh. You read that, it is a very, very progressive document. It stands for making public colleges and universities tuition free, etc. So, in that sense, we have moved. And I think there is a movement in that direction. On the other hand, uh-huh. I would not be honest with you in telling you that there is an element of the Democratic establishment who may give lip, ser- lip service to those ideas, but that's not what is in their really heart of hearts.
0: It seems like the biggest enemy of the progressive movement nowadays may be the Democratic Party. <laughs> uh, well, the, or the ans- biggest obstacle that may be mm-hmm. in the sense. I mean, did you see the the event with Diane Feinstein recently and I did. I San heard Francisco? about it. I didn't see, it. Um, she got a lot of she got a lot of shade from that audience. They were very upset with her. They were. It it almost seemed like there were two eras that were speaking to each other. You know, there was this era of the Democratic past or, or current, which a lot of people think is in the past, which fair or not fair, I don't know. And what clearly represented uh, the future of the Democratic Party or what people would like it to like the future to be, I think, which is that progressive part of I, it. That's a very good point. Larry. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that I'm very proud of. Uh... Oh, and the other thing is she was not having it, by the way, either. Like, she's like, sorry, that's how you feel, but that's not how it is. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, one of the things that I'm proud of is that during my campaign, and, I, you know, if you had asked me way back when, I would never have predicted this. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think I didn't know what the word millennial yeah. meant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just go out and do your thing, right? I wouldn't right, say anything right. different than I've been saying for 40 years. Yes, you've been very consistent on this well, message. That's Boringly sure. <laughs> consistent. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that there were are a lot of young people and i'm being generous young is 40
0: or under at least yeah or 60 and under there you go let's keep it real bernie that's right
1: (laughs) youth is what is what do they say it's what's in your heart and (laughs) not your chronology here uh who really uh have a very different vision for where this country should go than the establishment right who are prepared to think big and i got to tell you something larry and i always think Mm -hmm. about this with a smile on my face you know, I ran all over this country. We ended up speaking to like 1.4 million people in right. rallies. Some very large, some not so large. And I remember being out in the fields and agricultural areas in California, talking to five o'clock in the evening, five ten thousand people, yeah. young people, black, Latino, white mm-hmm. kids. Working class people. It was so beautiful. It, you looked in front of you. So my God, this is a beautiful country. There are beautiful, beautiful people yeah. in that who dream big. Who really
0: very bold. And, and by the yeah. way,
1: it is the least prejudiced generation in the history of this country. Uh-huh. They're beyond all that crap that our parents dealt with. And uh, <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And they want this country they ask themselves, why are we the only nation not to guarantee health care to all people? Yeah. Why do we accept this level of income and wealth inequality? Why do we still have the kind of sexism and racism that we have? Mm-hmm. And in that sense,
0: they are ahead of the Democratic Party. Absolutely. Right. So now, you have a book coming out, uh, and I think you have the word revolution in your book, right? A lot of people saw what you were doing as revolutionary, part of a, a revolt, if you will. You know. Um, but does the Trump election, do you think it suggests we may be on the brink of a different type of revolution? I mean, when you think of Brexit, when you think of what may be happening in France even right now. Um, I mean, I I, Bernie, I I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like we could go either way in the world right now, not just this country, but in the world. We're, I, we're at one of those moments that people will look back on and say that was a key moment.
1: Larry, I think you're right. I think, and that's why... I tell everybody, you know, and I say it again, this is a, I call, use the word pivotal moment, in mm-hmm. world, not only in American history, but in world history. Yeah. And if people say they're distressed or they're depressed or they're in despair, sorry, you don't have the time for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not about you. It's about your children. In terms of climate change, it's about the future of this planet. Here is what I believe. I believe that uh, Trump's views, and if you forget, his rhetoric <laughs> uh-huh. and his bombacity, okay. forget all that stuff. Put do I have out to forget
0: all... his tweets, too? Yeah, forget his okay. tweets. All right.
1: Just look at what he wants to do. And here's the thing. He campaigned. You remember they said, I'm a different type. Now, this is really appealing. Right. Democratic Party is not terribly popular. Mm-hmm. So he goes out and he says, Republican Party is even less popular. He says, right. I'm different. Hey, I'm not your. He specifically said, I'm not like Paul Ryan. I'm not like these old Republicans. I'm de- I'm not going to mm-hmm. cut your Social Security and your Medicare and your Medicaid. I'm going to take on the establishment. I saw an ad of his. I don't know if you recall it.
0: That's right. He actually ran from the left. Jesus. At the yeah. end of the campaign, 90 percent of the I'm taking on the global establishment. He actually got the re- this is this is one of the most amazing things. He actually got the Republicans. To admit that it was Hillary Clinton who started the Iraq war. <laughs> I mean, that was, you talking about your your head exploding. People were blaming her for the Iraq right. war and not the Bush administration that they were all on board with at well, the Well, Larry, time. here's the point.
1: That's, I mean, that, of course, it's absolutely. That's crazy. That is crazy. But here's, if you look at his ad, you say, <laughs> is this guy a communist? Socialist? What is he? He's taking on the global, i uh, stop, pictures of Wall Street. Right. All right. This is a left perspective.
0: Yes, correct.
1: Something most Democrats wouldn't go. Now, I'm going to take them all on. Mm-hmm. Wall Street has ripped you off. Drug companies have ripped you off. Well, he's right. Yeah. Turned out, of course, total phony and a total liar. He never meant anything that he said. Yeah. So he tells us he's going to take on Wall Street, and he's hired the president of Goldman, former president of Goldman Sachs to be his chief economic advisor. Mm-hmm. Half of Goldman Sachs now works for him. He's going to try to throw 24 million people off of health insurance after telling us he's going to provide health care for everybody. My point is, what he did is touched a nerve. And we have to acknowledge that nerve. People are not happy with the Democrats. They mm-hmm. certainly hate corporate America. They hate Wall Street. He said, I'm going to take them on. Obama didn't take them
0: on. Yeah. I am
1: going to take them on. People vote for him. Now, he lied. Right. Uh, that's the way it is. And our job is... To bring people together at the grassroots level to stand up not only in opposition to Trump, but for a progressive agenda. Truth is, his views, throwing millions of people off of health insurance, giving huge tax breaks to billionaires, not acknowledging the reality of climate change, taking away a woman's right to choose. You know what? Those are not popular views. They are a distinct minority of the American people. Our views raising the minimum wage, pay equity for women, creating millions of jobs, taking on the drug companies, taking on Wall Street, those are the popular views. We've got to bring our people together around that agenda.
0: Why do you think so many people compared you to Trump? You know, they call they use this word populist to describe you both, which You know, I I told you my view on this. I don't even think you guys are close, you know, in in terms— I think think you were both outside of the system. Yeah, that's, I I think, what it was meant, uh, anti-establishment. Hey, everybody, let me just interrupt my interview with Bernie for a second to talk to you about Audible. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Senator Bernie Sanders.
1: All right, now, you've asked me questions. Can I ask you a few questions? Sure. All right. Give me your sense, because you've been around— corporate media, and one is a writer, actor, mm-hmm. TV host for a long time. Tell us from behind the scenes, you know, what what makes them tick? Why are certain things get on the air and other things don't get on the air? Yeah. What can you tell us about corporate nerd?
0: Well, of course, I come from the content creation part of it, you know, even though people associate me with fake news, you know, I'm not a journalist or that type of thing. I've created comedies and that sort of thing you know and um the networks over the years have been become more corporate and more corporate and there's really only like five companies that are the big companies that own almost all of media right now
1: and by the way that's just not nationally that's internationally almost as well is that not true
0: Yes, there's there's a few more, but yes, right. like like a 19th century fox is what I call fox. Sorry, uh, who are applauding themselves for coming into the 20th century right now? <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, they Rupert Murdoch has holdings all over the world. You know, as well as the newspapers and all that type of stuff. You know, many times there's such an attention to bottom line. You know, and to and to uh, there was this whole thing called. Uh, uh, vertical integration, which I called vertical segregation <laughs> at the time, where you don't even sell things to other entities anymore. You hoard it yourself, you know, and distribute it yourself, and companies are owning their own means of producing and all that type of stuff. In the, Say in, a word on that, and I'm sure. sure. Yeah.
1: Now, Disney would be a good example of that.
0: Sure. Well, Disney's the company that I work for, you know, of course. and uh, And I'm trying to get you fired now, so well, tell me something okay. about Disney. <laughs> well... Disney owns a lot of, of properties. Uh, ABC is owned by Disney. They used to be owned by Cap Cities and uh, other companies and that sort of thing. But Disney is a very large company, and one of its properties is ABC Entertainment, right. ABC Entertainment has to provide a service for Disney. And Disney's bottom line isn't just ABC, it's it's also things like ESPN, it's Disneyland, it's uh, Marvel Comics, which they own, and they have a huge film franchise, Pixar. They have all kinds of entities all over. And um, the, sometimes, this isn't necessarily the case with Disney, but sometimes when you're working for a corporation, you have to be part of that corporate identity and that sort of thing, you know. But in terms of putting content on the air, One of the biggest obstacles over the years, and this is not necessarily the case at Disney, but is getting television to be the leader in something rather than the follower, you know. And that's why it's always hard to put new things on and to have... um, Like when Roots came on the air, it was a revelation because TV didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Like films did that. You know, literature does that. You know, art sometimes is 100 years ahead of its time. TV usually follows culture. You know, it rarely... Um, is rarely leads the culture. You know, in certain instances it can. You know, and I'm speaking primarily of television because what I worked in. So, anytime you're trying to push the culture forward, you're going to be met with res- resistance. They're and Worried the, about a backlash. In- well, the reason why is because it's most of television is advertiser supported. And if you're going to feel like you're a threat to the advertisers, well, you're not going to be around very long. One of the biggest examples are the Smothers Brothers that were on in the 60s. And these were two very likable guys, you know, didn't get more white bread than Tom and Dick Smothers, you know, until they started getting political. (laughs) And it was at a time when the they were actually reflecting the times. They weren't even ahead of their time. I mean, let's be honest about that. It wasn't like it was the 50s and they were doing that comedy. This was the 60s. People were already marching in the streets and those sorts of things. Malcolm X had already been shot, you know? Uh, When this was going down, I think King and Kennedy were were assassinated in 68, you know? So the Smothers brothers, if anything, were reflecting their times. And they weren't allowed to do that. So that's how cautious television right, can so be. So if you, you know.
1: did, or somebody gets up on ABC or CBS, yes. says, you know what, you know, let's. we as a nation have got to deal with the moral inequities of top 110% owning more wealth than the bottom mm-hmm. 90%. You know, we got kids who are hungry, and yet you got these billionaires with their yachts and their jet planes. <laughs> how long did that show last, do well, you think? Or, or am I wrong on that?
0: Well, here's where you are wrong, Bernie, is that... Where entertainment is different than anything else is the only color that really matters in entertainment is green. It really is. They really don't care what the message is. Is that right? Oh, completely. The, the message is green. If green is coming in, what did you say about the billionaires? <laughs> you slam them as much as you want. If you're giving us green, we are happy with you. You know, uh, greed rules the day in television, which can work for you and against you. You know, it, it's fear and greed that rule it, you know. But uh, you can, there's so much, there's so many outlets for distribution now. You can pick up a camera and go on YouTube right. and you can become a star, you know. So there aren't as many kingmakers as they used to be. There aren't as many guardians of content anymore so now i think networks and your traditional entities have to be more free in letting people do things now because there's too much competition bernie so i think with uh, certain exceptions it's a little freer to get your voice out there not necessarily in the established corporate media all the time but it doesn't matter because a lot of people are looking at you on facebook live sometimes all right,
1: let me know. ask you and, I, and you may not be you know an expert on this, but my understanding is that
0: well, we'll just see about that.
1: <laughs> my understanding is that the folks who watch TV now or get their news from TV are getting older and older. Yes, you know, and Fox, it's like 100... that. Watch and, news? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like yes. one hundred and three years
0: of age or something. Yes, uh, Fox and Friends, I think, is eighties. Yeah, is right. that true? No, I'm just kidding. No, but it's <laughs> it's it is pretty.
1: You know, surprisingly for all the networks. Yes, I think Fox seems to be higher than others. And. What is the future of television? You're doing now a podcast, for example. Right. And podcasts are gaining a lot of popularity. Yes. Talk about the transition of television and and the revolution that we're seeing in Internet media.
0: Well, entertainment has gone over different revolutions over time. I mean, 100 years ago, film was the newest medium that was taking over. At the same time, radio came out, two very different mediums. Film was primarily a medium that chose to entertain visually with stories and all this stuff. And its main purpose was to entertain. Whereas radio, when it came out, even though it had entertainment and news, its main purpose was to sell soap. Hence <laughs> the name soap opera. Right. It was to sell you something. You know, film at the time was to sell you the entertainment itself, whereas radio was a form of for another purpose right. you know
1: walked into a theater you paid money and you were entertained that and radio, it was a direct sold. transaction right. right
0: you know whereas radio was a separate transaction that was happening it was there was actually something else going on right. and that's actually been a part of media that a lot of people never quite understood that TV has always been the medium that was there for to sell you something not the just,
1: programming surrounded the advertisements
0: that's says. exactly right you know and that's changing now because People like that's falling down, you know. The fact that you can get on Instagram and tell a story and do these things where and you know, millennials are very guarded about being sold something <laughs> now. You know, everybody wants something for free now. Look what happened with music and Napster, you know, and, and how it broke apart the, the music business in many ways. You know, who buys albums anymore, right? Uh, unless you're very popular. But uh so media is fracturing now in ways that are economically based, um, especially like um, for the uh, big companies in terms of being able to use advertisers in the same way. That's changing in a big way. Uh, the way television occurs is changing in a big way, like YouTube is coming out with a the channel they announced today, where you can just watch all your content on a phone it's more mobile now you know so the idea of tv is even an antiquated idea what it is called now is just content you know you're just watching something you know hey, i'm watching bernie sanders is that and a you show? can watch
1: it at any time not at yeah. eight
0: o'clock in the evening yeah you watch it when you want to watch it's all a cart yeah you know? wow so it's more personal now is the biggest change yeah you know? I wanted to get all historical on you though.
1: Know, <laughs> no, I mean it is really very interesting and it's kind of revolutionary what's what's happening.
0: It is. One of the things that is changing too is that because it's so free, you can broadcast anything. Movements that are happening around the world can be broadcast instantly. They don't need a news division to do it. You know, That's right. You can bro- that's why a lot of like on my show, we covered a lot of uh Uh, racial events that were happening, of course, in the country. And a lot of people thought, are more of these things happening now? No, more people were filming them now. You know, we were becoming more aware of them now. You know, things like police brutality and those sorts of issues, you know. And uh, so the the citizen journalist and the citizen director, you know, are going to become more important, I think, in the years to come. Now, the negative of all that is you have some people out there who lie all the time correct, that's how you get your fake news, you know, and that sort of thing, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a good reason. The people that were the guardians of the content, there was a weeding out of right. the bad and the, you right. know, you you had to really be good to get through that process. So the people that made it through were very polished, you know, and you had to up your game, so to speak, you know, it's in almost in any field, you know, so when it's wide open like that, it's harder to know, you know... I mean, what you're looking at, if it's any good or it's honestly honest if you can it's trust any, it, yeah, right. or whatever. Let me ask you a question on that. Um, uh, talking about fake news and with all the partisan squabbling that's going on and and people feeling like they don't know who to trust, who do you think we can turn to to trust? That's a great question,
1: Larry. And obviously, if you talk to some of my colleagues down the hall, they will give you, you know, other folks. And in, in, in fact... Mm-hmm. This is how crazy let me give you an answer and show you how crazy the situation is. There was a congressman a couple of months ago, a conservative Republican congressman who said the situation is so bad with regard to fake news, I'm paraphrasing him. Yeah. The only person I think you can trust to get the truth is Donald Trump. <laughs> oh you got it? My god. That's true. This is what a United States congressman said. That's how really? crazy. Yeah. So you know i i read a lot and you know you read through the you know the traditional people of the new york times mm-hmm. the washington post wall street journal even i read and, and you know i go around to the progressive uh media but i think for you know it is your question is a profound one you know if you're young and you're not political Where do you go look? you go to bribot bribot Bre- 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 news you go to fox news yeah and I would say that you know what I learned when I was a kid, Larry. I don't know, and I remember this profoundly. And mm-hmm. I don't know when, you know, you became aware of these things. When I was a kid, and not that we were we were not particularly political, but you would right. argue with your friends about something. Sure. And I said, "No, I saw it in the newspaper." <laughs> yes. Did you ever say that? <laughs> yeah, and by definition, certainly. if it was in the newspaper, right. it was true. Yes, it was in the news.
0: Yeah, and then I Bob wondered, Saget had a joke about that. He says, "No, really, I read that. No, really, I wrote it down and then I read it <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I believe everything I read." <laughs> yeah,
1: but you know when, I was, when you were a kid,
0: was that your? Sure, everybody said that. Yeah. You know, if it's in the newspaper, it must be true. It has to be. Yeah,
1: and then when I was in college, I started reading. Then I did. Then I caught on that there are newspapers with
0: different perspectives and agendas
1: and agendas yes oh my god so an incident is reported differently on fox news than it will be in common dreams or an alternate or some progressive right okay and i would say to the young people who are just getting involved Mm -hmm. number one open your eyes and look around you don't let any media tell you what reality is what is the reality of your life agreed Uh, Number two, look internationally. You know, many of the ideas that I talked about, Uh people say, oh, it's revolutionary, it's radical. Duh. We are the only country, major country, not to guarantee health care at all. Yeah. I live 50 miles away from the Canadian border. What I want is what happens in Canada. Sounds so revolutionary. It's not Che Guevara running Canada, you know? (laughs) They had a conservative (laughs) prime minister for a number of years. Right. So, uh, you know, look around what's going around
0: in the the rest of the world.
1: Right. All right. Germany, you know how much it costs to go to college? It's free oh my god! i didn't know that wow, wow,
0: okay, so you have to eat a lot of Schnitzel to do that <laughs> That's, That's right. the downside drives yeah. up the health care yes is. all right
1: and and number two, trust your own observations mm-hmm. Then read read the right wing media uh, I read, think you
0: should read it all, yes, I feel you have to get both perspectives. Um, you have to know what people are saying on both sides and make up your own mind right yeah. and
1: and then what is fascinating and intellectually really interesting is how do they. Watch how they present things. What are they yep. leaving out? Right. Both yes. What
0: are they leaving out? That is fantastic. What are they leaving out? Which yes. is
1: more important than what they're putting in. Yes. The truth is, you know, I learned a yeah. long time ago, somebody told me this. They said, it's not the answer that you give.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the questions that you ask.
0: Yes. As a, as a Catholic, we talk about the sin of commission and the sin of omission. <laughs> you know, Sometimes it's what you don't do. Exactly. It's when you don't show up Sometimes is a much worse thing... That's exactly right. ...than what you did. That's exactly right. (laughs) Let me just say this, Bernie, it's last thing. If we were to imagine the Trump administration as like United Airlines, okay, and the Constitution is that passenger who was was pulled off, right, who was dragged off the plane, how do we save that passenger? Because a lot of people believe the Constitution is in a lot of trouble right now. Yes. I, when I hear threats about libel laws, that's right. Threats about journalists look, and that absolutely.
1: Type of thing, this is well, he starts off I'm with, saying
0: it as a joke, but you know I'm serious about this. Well, yeah. you should be it's mm. terrible look, when
1: you start off by, I mean, you know what one of the dangers of Trumpism is we begin to accept this thing as normal. You have a president of the United States who now tells us that the New York Times, the Washington Post, all of the newspapers, all of the networks are lying.
0: So dangerous. He's an authority figure, and he says that. That's one of the most irresponsible things. It's not I irresponsible, mean, Larry. Th- th- That's th- not the right word. Yes, you're correct. Okay. You of course it's correct. irresponsible. <laughs>
1: yes. But what, he's, what is yes. he trying to do? Yeah. What he's trying to do is if there's an article in the New York Times hypothetically saying that he's, his companies are making money as a result of his policies. Mm. Don't believe that. That's the New York Times. You know that they lie all yeah. the time. Right. So what you do is you destroy people's confidence in yes. all of the institutions. That's exactly right. And then who is the only person That's right. that we can have confidence in? Oh, my God, it's not the media. It's not the judiciary, is it? It's not elected officials in the Congress. Oh, no, no. Is one person who, thank God, is sitting there strong and proud and protecting us. And that is Donald Trump. That is what authoritarianism yeah.
0: is all about. So you're right. So are you are going to believe me or your lying eyes? That's right. So, all right, we covered a bit of ground. I think we did. Can I ask you one last question? Yeah. How old are you now, Bernie? Good question, 75. <laughs> You're 75. I'm going to be 76. Where are we a Bernie Sanders from now? Where is America Bernie Sanders from now? Well, I am, look. Uh, what, what is I, our future, Bernie? Are you looking optimistic or pessimistic or cautious? Well, I think
1: you raised this issue. This is a strange moment in American history, and I'm both, for all of the reasons that we've just talked about, Obviously, very, very, very concerned about yeah. Trump's policies and his ideology and the way he performs as president and his consistent lying. We didn't touch about that. He lies all the time. I mean, oh, he's, it,
0: he, he's brought casual lying to an art form. Right, right. I mean, I mean he lies more than a five-year-old who, you know, is who broke the vase and, you know. <laughs> That brings back a
1: memory. (laughs) Larry. I that old Richard Perry, too. (laughs) I think I was eight years old. Okay, what
0: happened was, okay, I'm going to tell you, okay. That's funny. That's funny you (laughs) mentioned actually happened (laughs) in my
1: house. I broke a damn face. Uh, But, um, you know, so that's the very bad news. The good news is that we are seeing in one form and another a lot of people standing up and fighting back and saying, you know what, I'd better get involved in the political process because this is not the kind of country I want for my kids.
0: All right, Bernie Sanders. I don't know if you're officially part of the resistance, Bernie, but I'm part of the Sanders movement. That's what I am. (laughs) Hey, Larry, (laughs) thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you, you, Bernie.